0: I do like how the video and the audio was off. It looked like a poorly translated kung fu movie from the 1960s. We've been working our way through uh, the story of Benjamin Button as a way of introducing this concept that oftentimes we can get lost in our imagination and creativity in our dreams, but fail to actually live them out. And so that's the question that we continue to ask as we are examining these dreams that we feel God has given us as a church community. And so today's text, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4. That's where we'll nestle in. Deuteronomy is between the book of Numbers and Joshua. So we're in this home stretch of this series expedition, exploring together God's dreams for Mosaic. And we've been asking this question this entire time uh, Will we remain in the comfort of now, or do we have the faith to step out into the journey of these new dreams that God has given our church community? And what does that look like? And we've examined the dream of what it looks like to be a missional church, that as the church we are called to follow in the example of Jesus to go and to be where people are. No matter what people look like, no matter where they come from, no matter where they are on their faith journey, no matter their political stance or their economic stance or their sexuality or their gender, we are called to be the presence of Christ, a people of compassion for all people. That's what it means to be a missional community. We've explored the dream of what authentic community looks like, that church is not designed to be this thing that we go to once a week, but the church is designed to be a community of people that live life well together. And that sometimes means that life is difficult, that we're going to cause hurt and heartache in each other's lives. but it's in the ability to reconcile and to pour and dispense grace onto others and to receive it from others that makes the church community something beautiful. And then last week, we looked at this dream of connecting deeper to God. We, we looked at that you and I have to take personal responsibility for our faith journey of, of following Christ each day, of learning to be more like Jesus each day, that this is not a solitary thing we do alone, but that we have the church community to help, help us grow and to nurture our faith and to challenge us at times. So what's our next dream? Well, the book of Deuteronomy is a narrative of Israel and their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. If you remember the story correctly, they're on the brink of going into the promised land and then they're, they're unfaithful. They don't believe that God can help them accomplish this. And the result, well, they get to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, um, like a bunch of guys that aren't willing to trust the GPS and listen to their wives when they're telling them, no, this is where you actually want to go. And so for 40 years, they're there, and, and while they're there, they pull together all these different sayings and laws, or known as Torah, that's what composes the book of Deuteronomy. It's directions, it's instructions, it's guidance, it's these laws that are uh, re- religious regulations that help shape their worldview, help shape their ethics, how they worship, and how they practice. But the chief cornerstone of the book of Deuteronomy is found in our text, And it's a reminder that God has brought them to this place. That despite their disobedience to God, despite their willingness not to believe that God can fulfill the promise God made, that God is still present with them. Our text is called the Shema. It is a call to listen, to hear, to look, and to see God. For this, it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, and all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. There's very few things in this world that really annoy me. Uh, the first thing is the certain use of words. For example, the word moist is absolutely disgusting. Earlier, Mandy chose to talk about that the donuts were not... She, she intentionally did not use the word because we both agree that the word moist is absolutely disgusting. Just listen to this for a second. You got to watch the lips too. Moist. It's just it's a gross, gross word. The second thing that really annoys me is people talking with food in their mouth. That just really, really annoys me. But the third thing that really annoys me is uh, people that parent you. Uh, and how do you parent your children, and they don't even know you. Like, that's just nothing more annoying to me than, than people do that. It, uh, it starts when you're expecting a child, as y'all are expecting a child now. All of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, let me tell you the specific thing that worked for my specific child, because we know that children are all different, but this one specific word of wisdom is going to work for you, and everybody's got to tell you everything they need to know. And then there are the people that you don't know, and you're in that random store with people, and they want to come up and give you their advice. So, uh, take for example, this um, Expert Mom when I was shopping with the girls a couple weeks ago um, if you've ever shopped with two children, which I rarely do um, uh, Aubriana was sitting in the cart where you put the groceries not on the top thing, but in the cart with the groceries and then Madison, as she always does was standing on the front of the cart, holding on to it, and this mom came up to me she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you don't, you don't need to do that And I wanted to look at her and say, you know what, I don't even need these groceries because you just gave me all the nutrition I need for the rest of my day. Thank you for passing along this wisdom that I don't need to do this. Uh, We were traveling recently with the girls and we were letting the girls stand on the uh, luggage cart. You know, you put your luggage on to take it up to your hotel room. And this woman came running up to us, like Jennifer and I were pushing this luggage cart at Mach 1 speed, like we had drugs in our system. And she was like, whoa, I don't know if you need to do that. And it's like, thanks, thanks for parenting me as I tried to parent my children. So when we read this text from Deuteronomy, and it goes from love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and then it starts getting into parenting, some of us are like, wait a second, you do not need to tell me how to parent my children, is a fascinating transition when you really think about it. This is the cornerstone passage of the Jewish faith. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then impress them on your children? What do you mean by impress? That sounds rather harsh when you come to think about it. You mean like shove this stuff on my kids? It doesn't help that the Hebrew word used here, shanan, literally translates sharpen or pierce. (laughs) That sounds really weird, doesn't it? impress sharpen pierce this on your children. I'm having some like horrible religious flashbacks from my time as a child with really weird religious people in the church but impress them on their children it's, it's talking about this beautiful idea nothing militant but teaching your children bringing them along the way and saying, Talk to your children when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, write them on the doorframes in your houses, on your gates. The, the, uh, the narrator is painting this beautiful image of a parent who takes their family in this faith journey with them. That they talk about their faith as they go. They teach them about what they've experienced about God. Did you notice the author didn't say, first go to your pastor, your children's pastor, your youth minister, your community group leader. He says, no, you as the parent, and this on your children. Parents, you are the primary pastors to your children. Let that sink in for just a second. You are the primary pastors to your children. It's your responsibility, your charge, your commission to be that primary person. Back in 2010, um, soon after the initial excitement of discovering that we were going to have children, I remember a reality check, like, all of a sudden coming down on me. It was like, my God, Andy Hale... I am going to be a father, which immediately sent feelings of, oh, oh no, I'm going to screw this up big time. I I have this lifelong medical condition called foot and mouth syndrome where I say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and what if I pass this disease along to my children? Um, What's going to happen? And then when I found out that we were having girls, it was like, (laughs) I've never said the right things to women my entire life. I am just going to mess this up. I don't know how to change a girl's diaper. This is just a lifetime of all this pressure Unbelievable pressure coming down. And then all of a sudden you throw in things like diapers and sleep schedules, eating the right foods at the right time, burping them. You have these things called explosive diarrhea that how am I going to be able to manage all of this stuff as a parent? The great American novelist John Steinbeck wrote, Perhaps it takes courage to raise children. See, as parents, sometimes we struggle with the call and commission that we read in something like the Shema because it's not easy to accept that we are the first and primary person to teach and to show our children the love of God. And as we struggle with this calling, we typically do one of two things. We either dump it off onto the church because that's what we, you know, give the church money for, right? We're paying you to do it for us. We don't say anything at all because we're so scared we're going to say the wrong thing. And so we oftentimes don't talk about our faith as if saying something is going to mess it up. Faith is a journey of ups and downs, twists and turns, triumphs, lessons to be learned. Faith is a journey of choosing what will bring goodness and beauty and holiness into our life while also embracing that we are going to make mistakes. But you as parents or as grandparents or as spiritual parents of this church community, we set a precedent at the priorities and dreams and goals and hopes that we teach children. And the first thing I want us to learn about teaching our children, taking our children on faith journey with us, is that we must live in the way of Jesus before our children. The whole call of the Shema is for individuals to take up this love and this devotion to God with their whole mind, their whole strength, their whole soul. It's an invitation to follow Jesus in the same way because in following Jesus, it's about everything about you. And before we we take our children into the process of teaching them about God's word and prayer... The thing that matters most is the way that you live your life. The way that you choose to live in the way of Jesus before your your children. And then it talks about this beautiful passage about uh, writing it on your your door frames of your house, on your gates. Bind them to your foreheads. It's trying to say that uh, live your life in such a way that God's word, the way of Jesus has saturated your life that it's seen before them. So in our our passage from last week as we looked at it's up to each of us to take personal responsibility for our faith journey. It's it's your responsibility and my responsibility to daily find ourselves in a place where we're putting our ear to the proverbial lips of God to hear what God would have us to be and to do in this world. Are there going to be questions? Yes. Are there going to be questions you're not going to be able to answer? Yes. Are there going to be moments of failure? Yes. in all these things, can you still pursue God with your whole life? Yes. So parents, I challenge you not to just be present in worship, but to take ownership in your development and growth in Christ each day. I challenge you to not just depend on worship and community groups as your source of discipleship, but daily dig into the Word of God as you try each day to live out the way of Jesus. Stephen King is... uh, That seems like a weird switch, right? Let's talk about Jesus to Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King is one of the most prolific writers in in the last century, and most of them know him as the King of Horror. Um, But Stephen King's horror books, in reality, it's it's all social commentary. Um, For example, The Shining is really about his struggle with alcoholism. It is really about how we all handle trauma differently in our lives. The Green Mile is about the cultural sin of racism. And one of King's earliest books, Carrie, is just one big metaphor, I think, of awful parenting. Um, the lady that played Carrie did so awesome that she was nominated for an Oscar when she played the role. Um, and she continues to make the list of uh, the worst villains in movie history. Um, so at the uh, you, we see this woman as this crazed religious zealot that believes everyone else is wrong. She's constantly correcting Carrie as to what is sin and what is righteous. When Carrie questions her on this or shows her that there is openness to doing something different, she locks Carrie in what's called the prayer closet. It would never occur to her mother that she could actually be wrong on anything. And I think that's the next thing I want us to understand about, about being parents and about being grandparents and being spiritual parents to, to children here within this community. It's okay to be open and honest and transparent and it's okay to be wrong in front of them. If we want to be people who lead children in a faith journey, then we must be open, we must be honest, we must be transparent. But the good and the bad and the ugly. Not only are you the primary person that... Uh, teaches your children about the way of Jesus but also your parents you as a parent are going to screw up you're going to make mistakes in front of your kids and what a wonderful teaching moment to show your children that we do need to ask others for forgiveness we do need to apologize when we fail and fall short we do need to take responsibility for our actions we live in a culture where no one seems to want to take responsibility we always want to push the blame onto someone else What better way to teach your children about the love and grace and mercy of God than to take ownership when we goof up, to make mistakes, to be transparent with them about these things. And I think this also means that we take time to wrestle with our kids over those difficult questions. I remember as a kid asking my parents like, about communion. I could not in my mind understand, so we're eating Jesus like every single week? Like what does that mean? And I'm not alone because the early church people thought they were cannibals because they talked about eating the body and blood of Jesus. You know, your kids are going to ask you questions. And it's okay to look at them and say, I don't know but let's figure this thing out together. God will go to absurd ends to show us the love and mercy of God. God is portrayed in Scripture and the parable of the the, the prodigal son as not a terrible father, but as a gracious father. A gracious father who has a son that goes off, but also a gracious father who has a self-righteous son who stays at home and judges his younger brother when he comes home. God is a God of love and mercy And we need to display that for our kids. Uh, My parents... um have given the girls two wonderful Christmas gifts over the last few years. A couple years ago, a playhouse, and this year they gave the girls a trampoline. And these are wonderful gifts which always followed by saying, and we'll come and help you set them up. Um, but if you have young children, you know that when they get awesome gifts, they're ready to play with them like right now. Uh, so those two years that we received those gifts, the days that we decided we'd set them up, It was in the 20s. And let me tell you, there is nothing more exciting than holding cold steel and you can't wear gloves because you're trying to screw in these little pieces and your kids are asking you, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? That playset had over a thousand pieces that came with it. I'm going to burn that thing to the ground when it's time to go. That's (laughs) that's the only thing I can think of. But I I think back, even though my parents had offered to help, I think back to my childhood and I remember these projects that my parents... They did with me a a school assignment of making a homemade volcano and mom made homemade Play-Doh and the whole baking soda and vinegar. I remember my parents being on the floor with me playing and making a Lincoln Log mansion for my GI Joes and my Star Wars toys because my brothers are too selfish and they wouldn't let me play with the Ewok village. So I had to make my own Ewok village. Yard work and house cleaning, assembling stuff in our first house, the placement of hardwoods in the home we live in now, all these things my my parents brought us along in the process. They helped us put it together, they helped make, they helped create, and they passed that on to us as we parent our kids. My parents gave our children this year for Christmas also these cool science projects that come in once a month that are designed that you sit and do them with your children. Benjamin Franklin once said, tell me and I forget. Teach me, I may remember. Involve me and I will learn see, the invitation of the Shema is a call to teach children, to teach them about God, to teach them about your faith journey, but to bring them along in the experience of faith in their lives. And for far too many parents, this scares the bejesus out of us, if we're honest. Think about bringing our kids along in the process. Because oftentimes we feel like we don't have all the answers of faith, but I want us to consider all the things that we feel like we have answers to in our lives. We can't raise our kids in the light of God's love, but we can put our kids in every single sports season that's out there. I always want to say to parents, just remember that less than 2% of college athletes go on to the pros and less than 7% of high school athletes end up in college. Yet we invest our kids' entire adolescence in sports and gymnastics and band and all these different things. We max out their lives, yet we can't teach them about the way of Jesus we can't give them opportunities to help grow and learn don't get me wrong i played sports my entire life i played football and basketball and and baseball and wrestled i also worked from the age i was 14 but my parents also said to me you're not working on sunday mornings you're not working on sunday nights you're not working on wednesday nights I had to do things like every summer when we were having sprint drills for football practice, I would miss a week to go on a mission trip. And you know what that meant for the first week of practice? I had to do extra sprints. But my parents made our faith journey a priority to the point that it was willing to sacrifice and run a few extra sprints. It was worth it to sacrifice that time to help raise me up in light of God's love. So bring your children along the way. Three, uh, When I was three years old, uh, it seems like ages ago, um, that was a long time ago now that I come to think about it, but when I was three years old, I was ready to learn how to fish. Um, You know, of course, we had the let's go fish game, like after a while when you stick so many fingers down in the game, it breaks, Uh, and then I remember like at our fall carnival, we would throw the little thing over and somebody would clip something on, you feel like you caught a fish, right? So we were ready, and we were pushing mom and dad to take us out to go fishing. And so they took us out to this farm pond. What I found out years later, it was actually they took us to a uh, low-security prison farm that we had a family friend that owned the farm. And it was this low-security prison that was kind of like the last step before someone gets acclimated back into society. So this is really weird. Sorry, it didn't come to think about it. But uh, so we go out there, and we're, we're fishing. And first cast... Pulling a fish. And then immediately I remembered it. it was for my first cast and first fish because the catfish stung me. And I remember how awful that felt. And I remember soon afterwards I also got stung by a wasp that day. So it was like the two worst things to happen to a three year old to never want to go back to fishing. But what it taught me is a lifelong love for fishing. And I think about how often in my life I've taken others fishing that I've learned at the experience I had from my parents. And so I want us to understand this and consume this. This is an invitation to bring a new lifestyle into your children's life. It Talks about writing this on the door frames of your house, on your gates, bind them, on your hands and on your foreheads. It's an invitation to see that what you teach your children today will matter for tomorrow. Which also challenges us to think about what are we writing on the door frames of our house? What are we binding to our hands and to our foreheads? But there's another element of this as we start to wrap up our conversation this morning that uh, we have to draw back to. And it comes in a text that's been our theme text for this, which comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Read these verses with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. You see what we see about this invitation is that you are not called to do this alone. We as a church community, as a family of people are called to also help you in this challenge we have this great big old dream that came out of our emerging vision process that we want to enhance what we do with our children and students. In Mosaic, we are making a commitment to you. It's a commitment that it takes a village to raise a child. So this village of yours, this people of yours wants to help you raise your children. We want to give you encourage and support. We want to challenge you and help you grow in your journey with Christ. We're going to give you opportunities to grow with your children. We're going to give you opportunities to serve as a family. We want you to be successful parents. But we also want to be successful in the way that we invest in your children and in your students adolescence has been an integral part of Mosaic since the very first day. Uh, Craig was there. (laughs) You Remember We we had kids in the room while we were dreaming about what this would look like and I remember sitting down and asking Drake who was not even in kindergarten at the time and asking Joy what were their dreams for this church community and children have always been an integral part of this church community. From community groups to worship we want to help raise children in the light of God's love. Did you know that on a given month, it takes 40 volunteers to do all the things we do for children? Think about that for just a second. From kingdom kids to childcare at community groups, from student small groups, to first Friday gatherings, it takes 40 people to make all that happen. Two years ago, we looked at staffing priorities for the coming chapter of Mosaic, and we needed someone who could focus in on working with children and students. So the hire of Caitlin Rogers was an intentional movement. And since August of 2016, Caitlin has been leading us as we enhance and embrace this calling to do better with what we do with our kids and students. She's taken our weekly Kingdom Kids time and expanded it to this full-blown initiative for students to grow with Jesus, to grow in community together, to serve in ministry. And as we continue to expand and enhance our work with students. Folks, we got to make securing Caitlin a priority for our future. She's done this wonderful job as she has also taken many of you who have said yes to helping serve our kids and serve our students. But this is just the beginning. I believe God is calling us to enhance the work we do with our children and students. That means that we need to think big and think finite in our dreams. We are created by a God that both raised a little girl from death to life who blessed children even when they weren't viewed on the same social level as adults, who made children the central blessing of so many key figures within the Old Testament and New Testament. We serve a God who calls us to have a faith that can move mountains. Therefore, I want us to consider what dreams God has given us for our children and our students. Stop and think about that for just a second. I'll prime the pump for you. I dream of giving our children a creative space to gather each week where they can play and learn and be empowered. I dream of endowing our students with five to six volunteers that will invest their time and their effort and their energy into loving and teaching and empowering our students to grow in the way of Jesus. I dream of this church community seeing the worth of showing the love of God to these children by the way that we have more volunteers than we have spaces in our volunteer repertoire. I dream of putting our money where our dreams are and hiring Caitlin Rogers as she graduates and bring her on in a full-time role. What dreams has God given you for our children and our students? The writer of Deuteronomy repeats himself in chapter 19 saying, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord has sworn to your forefathers. Parents, we commission you to be the presence of Christ to your children. Mosaic, we are commissioned to be the presence of Christ to these children. So may we step out into the dreams that God has in store.